Welcome to Wellness Way with Dr. J, a monthly conversation about all things brain and mental health, as well as everything about wellness to help you live your optimal life. I'm your host, Dr. Katherine Jackson, a licensed clinical psychologist, board-certified neurotherapist, and America's number one brain psychologist. For more information, check out our website at dr ccj.com. I'm flying solo again today, and I'm so excited to talk to you about stress. Stress affects all of us, men, women, and children at various times and in different ways. With all of the day-to-day hustle and bustle, it makes sense that most of us experience stress at some point in time. And it's not just adults, just like I said before, children experience stress too. So let's delve into this topic about stress. But before we get started, stress is such a big topic and it affects so many people in so many different ways. There's no way I can cover it all tonight. So I'm going to do this in two or three different parts. But trust me, we're going to go through beginning and end and talk all about stress. If you've been following this podcast, you know that I like to define things and then I talk about it and then we talk about solutions. And today, it's no different. So let's start with, by defining stress. Dictionary.com defines stress as a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or very demanding situations. In psychological terms, stress is a feeling of strain or pressure in response to overwhelming conditions. So simply put, it's the body's natural way of responding to too much or too little pressure to an unpleasant, uncomfortable, or threatening situation. Furthermore, and I have to add, the stress response often is often more about individual perception than the actual event. When we think about stress, we usually think about it being a a negative cycle. So we have the stressor, and then we have our reaction to stress. That stress wears and tears on our body and our organ system. Then we start to feel reduced uh, optimist, uh, our reduced optimal health, and then uh, we have increased increased sensitivity to stress, and it just seems like it just goes into a never-ending cycle, and then it's the stress again, and then we're back to our reaction to stress, and so on and so forth. I have um, attached to the podcast, I have have a a diagram that depicts this, this vicious cycle. And in this cycle, we, we emotionally perceive stress, or how we emotionally perceive stress, uh, plays a big part in its impact, its duration, and the severity of the stress. So basically, if we're making something bigger, bigger than what it truly is, we're catching... We're certainly keeping (laughs) the negative cycle going. 
So I'm just going to say that again. I botched that a little bit. So when we're making something bigger than what it is, then we're keeping that negative cycle that I just uh, described. We're keeping that going. So when stress goes unaddressed, it leads to depletion of your body's resources, meaning your sleep's getting impacted, eating habits change. Maybe you start eating too much junky stuff or not, not eating enough at all. You have difficulty with your thinking, like it's so hard to think clearly when stress is high. And the list goes on and on. Instead of allowing stress to become great, you want to intervene by attempting to naturally reduce the symptoms. And I'll talk more about managing stressors in another part of the podcast. So it won't happen tonight. We're just going to delve into what stress is, what it looks like so on and so forth. And then next time, we'll talk more about how to actually manage the stress. After a long time with the body in a stress cycle, symptoms become chronic, leading to reduced optimal health. The longer we stay in the stress cycle, the more susceptible and sensitive we are to stress and its physical and emotional impact. This can keep us easily looping back through the cycle again and again. So we have to break the cycle. Again, I'll share more about this in an upcoming podcast. As always, I have to slip some brain in on you guys. So let me go further into the impact of stress on the brain and the body. There are a few different theories that explain the brain and body response to stress. It should be noted that the stress response is activated in response to both real and perceived. I cannot stress that enough that what we think or how we think about stress really plays into that stress rea uh, reaction, that stress cycle. So it's activated by both the real and perceived stress as the brain, more specifically, the amygdala, cannot distinguish between the difference. So if somebody's truly chasing after you and your life is truly in danger, your body's going to perceive it the same way as if you are feeling really stressed about, say, like your boss's response to something. And you're making that thing much bigger than what it should be. So how we think about it and how we look at things truly does matter. The amygdala, which is part of the limbic system, is responsible for survival instincts, among other functions such as emotions and memory. The stress response cycle is automatic and it's hardwired in the brain. The body's automatic response system is often greater than the threat or the stressor. So it's often greater than the actual threat or than, than what the stressor actually requires. As a result, there is more of a need to manage stress. So another theory is, or one of the theories, is the fight or flight response. Let me say that again, the fight or flight response. It's also known as hypoarousal or acute stress response. 
And it's one theory that explains the stress response cycle. It was first described by Walter Bradford Cannon, and it is a reaction that occurs when we sense any kind of threat. This response enables us to activate energy needed to cope with the threat and to survive it. So what actually happens to activate the fight or flight response? Bear with me while things get a little sciency and technical, but I think it makes it concise, or I will try to make it as concise as I can. I'm a proud nerd, therefore I like to talk about this stuff, so here we go. When we go into flight or fight mode, the hypothalamus activates the sympathetic nervous system and the adrenal cortical system more simply put, both the nerves and the bloodstream are activated. When this happens, the body is rapidly flooded with epinephrine, neuroepinephrine, and many other hormones, hormones that increase the body's heart rate, it increases the blood pressure, and other functions so that the body becomes very alert and ready to take action quickly. And it has to happen quickly. We can't be slow. We got to make a quick decision of which, which thing we need to do. All of this occurs so that we can either run, which is flight. And so you're running for your life or you want to fight for your life. In terms of stress, when the flight or fight system is activated, we either fight through it or we flee away from it. Either way, our bodies are in high alert until the stress is subsided. And all of that tension and readiness for action has to come down at some point. If it does not, the brain and body is in a, pro in a prolonged reaction to stress and stress becomes chronic. That is not a place where you want to be. To bring the tension down and the brain and body back to homeostasis, AKA back to stability. That's where the parasympathetic nervous system comes in. It has nearly the exact opposite function of the sympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic, <laughs> I'm tripping over my words. The parasympathetic nervous system controls the body's function while it rests. So it relaxes the body, inhibits or slows high energy, and decreases the heart rate. It takes our bodies down from the tension it needed to be ready to flee or fight back to a state of calm. Actively engaging in activities to more rapidly stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system would help relieve the body's natural intense reaction to stress. And I'll certainly share ways to help you do this in the next podcast. More recently, the term freeze has been added to the fight or flight response. This is because instead of deciding to flee or fight, we sometimes freeze like a deer in headlights. When the perceived 
threat is so intense, it triggers a freeze response. Often the brain is overwhelmed by the threat or the stressor. In this instance, the brain and body still go through the stress response cycle, but the call to action that is never initiated results in muscle pain as we do not dis discharge the tension. We'd have to actively engage in activities to relieve this tension. The freeze response may also occur as a way to mentally protect ourselves from the pain of an inescapable threat. Often, in this case, there's something, there's sometimes no explicit memory of it, meaning there's no memory of the stress. Another stress cycle therapy theory is Han Seals general adapt adaption syndrome. I'm going to repeat that again. I tripped over that a little. Another stress cycle theory is Han Seals general adaption syndrome. Uh, for short, it's just called gas. So the gas consists of three stages that breaks down the stress response. These stages are alarm reaction, resistance, and exhaustion. Similar to the fight or flight response, in the alarm reaction stage of the gas, the body perceives a threat. Hormones, hormones enter the body that increases the energy level and muscle tension. Also, the heart rate and blood pressure rises, which prepares the body for action. In the resistance stage, the body continues rallying resources until energy is depleted or the stressor has ceased, so the stressor has, has gone away. Resources are depleted faster than they can be replaced, and as the body continues to use its resources, fatigue and susceptibility to illness increases. Finally, in the exhaustion phase, the body is completely devoid of its resources. This is when many of the stress warning signs and symptoms are present. And I'm going to share all those stress symptom uh, warning signs um, and those symptoms, I will be sharing those at, a, at another uh, time in an in a upcoming podcast. So continuing, this is also when prolonged stress may need to be more, this is when <laughs> prolonged stress may become more serious, uh, and it may be more of a psychological, medical, or clinical concern. So when it gets really, when you're, when you're hitting all those warning signs and symptoms, that's when it has become a lot more serious and a lot more prolonged. So both the theories, the gas and the fight or flight theory, explain short-term effects of stress and account for implications of persistent stress, so prolonged stress or chronic stress. So there's all kinds of types of stress. And so I want to delve into that a little bit. 
talk about what types of stress you may see and then we'll we'll cut it off and then we'll we'll pick up with the warning signs next time sounds good so stress can come in many different forms but it's typically psychological emotional cognitive physical and behavioral and individuals may experience one or a combination of these. Well, I think most of us know well that too much stress is a bad thing. Both too little and too much stress can pose a problem to the brain and body's proper functioning. So that means not all stress is negative. In fact, a healthy level of stress called positive stress a term coined by Hans Seal, and he called it your stress, so EU stress, and that means positive stress. So when you have positive stress, it's moderate or it's a typical amount of stress that purports beneficial qualities. These benefits may include increased motivation to complete a task or to succeed. Another benefit is improved performance, especially for athletes, in which stress serves as a challenge rather than anxiety. Furthermore, benefits include short-term immunity boost and an increase in resiliency when facing stressful situations in the future. Low levels of stress can also boost brain power, including temporary improvements in, in memory and in learning. Optimal levels of stress is near the midpoint of a positive stress diagram. And so I have this diagram um, in the underneath this section of the podcast, of the description in the, in the podcast, so that you can see it. So you kind of want to be in the middle. You don't want too much stress. You don't want too little stress. If you have too little stress, you're underloaded. You're not motivated. It's hard to get yourself going to do things and complete tasks. If you have too much stress, then you're overloaded, and then you're quickly headed to burnout. So optimal levels of stress, like I said, it's kind of in the midway point, um, not too much, not too little. And it's just before the stress turns negative, which is distress, and that's when stress becomes too high. Again, um, you can look in the description section of this podcast, and you'll be able to see this diagram. It's a stress curve. And so now that we know what stress is, we know some of the different theories of stress and how we respond, uh, our brain and body response to stress, um, that we know the different types of stress. Now let's talk about a few of the causes of stress. And I'm sure everybody <laughs> has their own list of different causes of stress. Things like work, Sometimes interactions with people or certain interactions with people, um, having to complete deadlines. I mean, the list goes on. 
and I would love to hear some of the things that bring about stress for you. Hit me up on Facebook. You can hit me up on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, I'll be giving all that information um, at the end. Um, but I'd love to know how stress affects you and even better how you manage it. So here are some of the causes of stress. Psychology researchers clarify causes of stress in four main categories. One is crisis in a crisis situation or disasters. And so those consist of unforeseen, uncontrollable situations that can include personal, so where you're the victim of a crime, and collective, something that happens to a whole group of people, like a hurricane, or trauma. Number two can be major life events, and they can include life transitions that are either positive, yep, positive or happy things can also cause some stress. And then, of course, things that are negative, such as these can be things like going away to college, marriage, moving, the birth of a child, the death of a loved one, financial problems, and illnesses. And so we heard a mix of negative things in there like illnesses, financial problems, the death of someone that you love, and then even things that are normally thought of as happy. So like marriage, having a baby, going off to college. These are good, good things. These are things we want to accomplish, but they can still be stressful. And number three, daily stressors such as work, driving in traffic, making decisions, dealing with difficult people, and on and on and on. And number four, ambient stress. That's a low-grade global stressors. That's low-grade global stressors that are in the background, or rather non-urgent, but it's always around. So it's comprised of things like pollution, politics, uh, like we're, we're living in a really political time right now, uh, noise, things happening in the media. We see a lot of media stuff. So, you know, those things also cause stress. And the list goes on there as well. These are things that may generally affect us, but may not always be in our conscious awareness. So they're there, they're around, and they're impacting us, even though it may not be a direct impact. Furthermore, Carl Albrecht, and I'm not good with these names, so don't, don't quote me on this name. <laughs> He's the author of Stress and the Manager. It's a book that was published in 1979. He defined common types of stress. His four types of stress are, one, time stress. So it's stress when we're worrying about time or the lack of time when we're rushing or trying to meet a deadline. I think a lot of us have gone through that one. Two, anticip anticipatory stress. And that's stress related to worrying about the future that can be connected to something specific or be unclear and undefined. And that is one of the very uh, things that leads to anxiety. So when we worry about the future, that often causes a great deal of anxiety. And that's when worry or stress becomes so great. 
that it warrants a lot more clinical attention. Number three, situational stress. Worry about, so this is worry about a specific event or situation that one feels no control over, like public embarrassment. And number four, it's encounter stress. So this is when uh, you're stressed about experience, experiences when, let's see, how can I break this down? So encounter stress is when you experience stress when you worry about interacting with others and may and it may lead to feeling overwhelmed or drained from interacting with or being responsible for for many people. So it's kind of a I don't know, like a like a social um anxiety or some socially experienced stress. So much so that, you know, you feel stressed when you're around people, you feel drained when you're around people and then um, that lack of energy and not, you know, not being your best when you're around people and feeling so much more uh, heightened, um, it makes it very hard for you to be responsible for other people. And that makes sense. If you can't be responsible for many other people, if you have a hard time really being able to take care of yourself. Triggers and experiences of stress are different for everybody. For example, I tend to experience stress when I have a lot on my plate. So daily stressors will probably apply to me. Get in touch with the things that are likely to increase your stress levels. Identify causes of stress in your life or identifying causes of stress in your life. Uh, it will make you more aware to help you more effectively manage it. So if you're not aware of something, it's, it's almost impossible <laughs> to know that you need to do something about it. So you want to be aware of uh, what causes stress in your life. This is especially important since the point where optimal stress can turn into distress, so po where the point where positive stress can turn into negative stress, it's a very fine line. That's why it's important to be mindful and to keep stress in check. So that's all I want to share today, guys. Um, stress is a big thing that pretty much everybody experiences. So that's where I'm going to leave it for today. I don't want to draw on and give you guys way too much uh, for this one. But later this month, we'll have, we'll have a talk about youth wellness and something to help children as they're going back to school. So come back later this month, listen to that one. And if anything applies to any kids that you have or kids that you know, you, you definitely want to listen to that because I'll have a guest speaker. Um, I mean, I'll have a guest on with me who will be answering lots of questions on how to help children uh, with their own youth wellness. And then at next month, I will be talking about the warning signs of stress, and giving you guys some ways to manage your stressors. So you definitely want to come back later this month for youth wellness, and then you want to come back next month to hear the rest of this talk about stress. Well, I was excited to share that. 
And as always, I hope something I shared was helpful to somebody. And don't just listen. We want to hear from you. How do you manage your stress? And how does stress affect you? We want to hear. Hit us up online on uh, Twitter that's at, at DRCCJ underscore on Twitter. You can hit us up on Instagram at DRCCJ. So we're pretty much everywhere. DRCCJ with an underscore or no underscore. And you can find us. Or you can leave a message. There's a whole post about stress on our website. And you can leave a message on our um on our website, on that page, or you can hit up the contact page and send us an email. If you're looking for me online, you can find me personally, Dr. Katherine Jackson, um, on Twitter at Dr. D-R-C-C Jackson or on Instagram at Dr. Katherine Jackson. I'm also on Facebook. You just want to put a period between Dr between Catherine and then put Jackson and you can find me on Twitter. I'm sorry, on Facebook. Share this podcast with someone you care about and please use the hashtag WellWayDrJ. So that's Well, W-E-L-L, Way, W-A-Y, and Dr. D-R-J. All one word. So whenever you're sharing online about the Wellness Way with Dr. J, be sure to use the hashtag on social media. Thank you for allowing me into your home, your work, your car, or wherever you listen. I look forward to continuing to share brain and mental health as well as wellness next month, well, later this month with a guest, and then again, continuing with stress next month. Take care and happy wellness, everybody.